0: Millennials are achieving freedom with new definitions of success. Our careers, relationships, education, family, even our politics look nothing like our parents. We're adopting what works and throwing out the rest. We are tired, but not worn in our quest to get there.
1: We Should Be Sleeping explores the things worth losing sleep over. Each week, we discuss the news and topics that keep us awake. Then, our guests share the intentional ways they've done it differently. To achieve a new brand of success that's authentic, unconventional, and definitive of our generation.
0: Not ready for bed? Neither are we.
1: I'm Douglas Bonaparte.
0: I'm Heather Bonaparte.
1: Welcome to We Should Be Sleeping. Hey everybody, and welcome back to We Should Be Sleeping. Have 2020's ending.
0: Happy New Year!
1: Oh, Is it really ending though?
0: It's definitely not ending.
1: <laughs> well, like we talked about last episode, I don't think it really ends until I'm vaccinated.
0: No, but for better or worse, the year, the calendar year 2020 is ending. Astrology. And, and you know, every year you've got that sweet spot, that time between Christmas and New Year's where you've got every mainstream media outlet starts doing these recaps of the year right it's
1: not just mainstream media now it's it's all the applications on your phone spotify you know your your brokerage application i don't know i feel like everything's notifying me that let's review what happened this year on this application
0: i don't want any years in review. I don't want to be reminded of almost anything that anyone's going to recap for me from this year.
1: You don't want the work from home montage on Facebook (laughs) of you looking (laughs) disheveled every month.
0: Maybe if I'm lucky, my company will put out a year in review. They'll send me an email of like my 10 most memorable emails of the year. (laughs) working from my basement that would
1: be scary (laughs) funny and ridiculous if everyone's corporation sent out your 10 most memorable emails to colleagues for the year what an invasion of privacy that would be
0: imagine anyway that's ridiculous but i was thinking about this like i really don't want to see like cnn's doom and gloom year in review or like doesn't abc always do one like that they're famous for like the 10 most memorable news moments of the year like they're all bad
1: i try i try and avoid the news on tv
0: Anyway, the point being, there's only one year in review that is worth us going over right now that brings me any sort of joy to look back on and be like, ah, yes. What do you got? That TV.
1: Yep. TV. That makes sense.
0: Does it, like, seriously, what has brought me joy this year? I mean, aside from being with my children, the silver linings, you know. You know. The boob tube. <laughs> the boob tube for seriously. So, I thought we would do our own We Should Be Sleeping television year in review because God bless you. Let's let's be real. This is this is what we've all been doing it for our escape all
1: year. Let's get lost in some great shows. Okay. What are we starting with?
0: Shows that we binged. Okay. Shows that we binged this year like
1: multiple seasons we are behind shows.
0: Multiple seasons or just a really binge-worthy limited time series or maybe even the start of a new series that you know, gave us something to look forward to in the future.
1: Go. What do you, what's your first one? Shits Creek. Loved it. Ew, David. Right. No. Fantastic show. Very, very funny. What I loved about it was it's basically like the entire Levy family, Eugene Levy and his son, Daniel, and even their daughter. It was awesome to see like the whole family putting their like best comedy. And it was just writing. funny and
0: it felt good. It just felt good. Great. Ozark. Not feeling good, but similar vibes. Kind of like, well, kind of like the, uh,
1: it was like a poor man's Breaking Bad set. I I loved it. Like, it's hard to beat out the epic series known as Breaking Bad, but this came really close, felt great, had that feel. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Big mouth, wildly inappropriate, cringeworthy. Hysterical, yeah,
1: very vulgar. But we're massive Nick Kroll fans. We're
0: like huge Kroll fans, like longtime Kroll show fans. But it's so not,
1: it's not just Nick. It's like an amazing Mulaney, cast, of com- yeah, right. amazing cast of comedians coming, coming in here.
0: Yeah, I can't get enough of that. Always happy with that. Don't oh, let this is... Don't
1: let your kids watch that show. No, uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all cartoons are not I'm gonna for watch children. Watch that one late at night. Um, oh, the Last Dance, which we watched at the beginning of quarantine.
1: Yeah, we missed the hype on that one when it first came out. But the Michael Jordan documentary lived lived up to the hype. It was awesome.
0: Something so random about Doug and I, we don't love professional sports. like We love college sports, but we don't love professional sports. But we love professional sports documentaries. Yeah. We watch Hard Knocks. Yeah. We watch The Last Dance, QB1. Yeah. Like, we just love it. so weird. Oh, QB1's high school. But you know what I mean. We love sports documentaries. Yeah,
1: because you get to learn about the people.
0: Oh, and another, a great new show this year, Lovecraft Country.
1: This was super cool. You got to like sci-fi, but wow. And it was gory.
0: There's really no way to really even summarize what that is. Go look it up. It was on HBO.
1: Yeah, very, very few things like placed in like post-Korean war 1950s. I liked it. Check it out.
0: Oh, and some game shows. Got it. Floor is Lava. (laughs) Floor is Lava. (laughs) ridiculous. Netflix, we watch it's like something you can watch with your kids and was just so funny and really just entertaining, like family fun.
1: Yeah, it's literally that childhood game. They've created an actual game show out of like lava floor and and jumping off of furniture and stuff. Our five year old really loved it. Good good family game show.
0: Yeah, totally. Oh, here's the next one. I'm not ashamed to say watching the challenge on MTV. I don't know if anyone like listening here has been (laughs) watching the challenge for like two decades the way that I have. But I finally got Doug to start watching it again with me. And years I'm like, ago, this yeah. is great. Like, cause I've got like intimate knowledge about these contestants. They've been, you know, they've been on this show for, you know, some of them for literally, literally two, two decades. decades. They're our age. And to watch them still going at this with like 20 year olds is the funniest thing. I love it. I can't get enough.
1: Now, the thing about the challenge, it took me, like you said, many, many years to like actually appreciate this show and watch arguably some of these contestants, you're like, what are they doing here? But now I-, I can't wait for it. I can't. And if you watch it long enough and you start to like invest in the contestants, like it just takes on a whole new level and they're really competing. Like you need to be in good shape to do a lot of the things that they're doing. It looks a ton. I, I would love to to be on the challenge, I would like to get ready Good
0: luck to be with on the that. challenge. Good luck with that.
1: I would run the final. Uh,
0: you would not run the final. I would
1: win the final. You would
0: win the mental game. I'm I not- would say, like, some of them do not seem like the, some of the contestants do not seem like the sharpest tools in the shed. I mean, right. a lot of them are also a, yo- a lot younger than us. Like, I'm pretty sure if you went on now, year you would there. definitely like move some pawns. All I got to do is
1: beef up and get stronger. And I'm bringing home the million dollars. Just beef it
0: up. Just beef it up. It's fine. I'm
1: not sharing my money with you.
0: Uh, Whatever. All right. Anyway, from the political side of things, and I I only have we watched the circus on Showtime every week leading up to the election.
1: What an what an inside look that was like the perspective you got. I feel like you weren't just watching headlines or what the most sensational stuff is. You were like watching some of the best political pundits and correspondents like get inside unparalleled access. I felt like I looked at politics in a whole new way.
0: And very even-handed. I mean, yeah. we, they were speaking to uh, Republican insiders and Democratic insiders.
1: Yeah, it was a really, I think, pretty, ob- almost a completely, mm, it was it was fairly objective. I'll leave it, it at that.
0: I, I mean, uh, as as objective as one could be, considering the complete shit show that was this election. I mean, it's, right. you know, okay. as, as, as even-handed as one could be. Oh, also, some series that were kind of like a one and done. So, you know, either a limited time engagement or, like, sadly, a show that
1: What was the first one? Got
0: canceled. Away. Oh, yeah. Away, which Doug and I loved and we're like looking forward to future seasons of and we heard that- This is
1: with Academy Award winner.
0: Academy Award winner. Hillary Hillary Swank.
1: Swank. It got swanky. And- We love her. First of all, anything Hillary Swank is in, come on. You know, it takes a lot for someone like Hillary Swank to sign up for, you know, a streaming show. So we had high, high hopes for it and it- Delivered, and, Go. We, and
0: and we've hated. Wait time out because we've hated on a lot of Netflix shows that have like blown their budget in the past we've spoken about this blow your budget on the A-list actor and then there's like nothing else behind the show yeah, right like the, like the plot's Whitaker. terrible <laughs> yeah, yeah. Academy, nominee, Academy Award winner, winner. Yeah, Forrest too. Whitaker is in some like terrible it Netflix movie so but that, this is not that Away was wonderful yeah. but I'm like very sad to hear that it's not coming back for it's, another uh, season and, d- and
1: just so you guys know it's a international space mission tomorrow Mars, and I think I cried in half the episodes. Me too. It was, oh, oh, was ugh, it just that good, or because we were like in the middle of a pandemic, or both?
0: I think a little bit of both. Mm. We were all, we were all, we're just all away, like rooting for them to get to my, Mars. Br- my you know? brain
1: went to Mars, <laughs> my brain <laughs> my was out of space with right them, <laughs> right?
0: Oh, Queen's Gambit, of course.
1: Yep, gotta do, love that. that do was, drugs and play chess.
0: That was, you know, fantastic. And how can you not put Tiger King on this list? Yeah. Ridiculous. Just like the timing of when it hit. And we it was it. so absurd. Like, so absurd.
1: The fact that Carol Baskin did dancing with the stars, like, you know, six months, like the lady murdered her husband. And now she's dancing on, mm. you know, ABC. Funny how the world works like that. It is
0: funny how the world works. Okay. Carol Baskin. Oh, here is another category that, you know. <laughs> Shows you should be watching without your spouse. You need a little bit of time alone. You know what I'm saying? Like your husband's recording a podcast in the basement or working or doing
1: something out. You can't out, or, or do you, everything together.
0: You can't do everything.
1: You do together. most of stuff together, but you can't do it but all. But there
0: are shows that it, I have saved for a time when Douglas is busy doing something else. And frankly, it has been my, my own personal escape. A teacher.
1: Yeah. Uh, this is all you, by Hulu. the way.
0: A teacher. I don't even
1: have anything to say. What like, about that? You like text with a group about
0: this. I, I do, but let's not get into that. The Undoing, the limited time series on HBO with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. Wow.
1: Th- yeah, that's, um, that's a big cast. Didn't the watch. Vow, it. Didn't the vow watch
0: it. On Vow. Oh, on The Nixium Cult and with Keith Raniere. I
1: don't know what you're talking about, and, but cool. <laughs>
0: and Normal People, which was a book. Which was a book that I happen to also love. Watch all of those without your spouse. That's all I'm saying.
1: I have one. You watch, man, you got a lot in. I got a lot. Me.
0: I was squeezing in episodes of these shows, like 20 minutes
1: here, folded laundry here. This is what happens when you take a lot of your meetings at the eight and nine o'clock hour.
0: Right. I mean, but also like I'm a multitasker. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. You know. No, no. This wasn't a like, oh, I'm working harder than you. You probably work harder than me. It's just like interesting. I appreciate you, you, that. You, yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> but you have, you have like a better evening time slot to go like do things. You want. I
0: also, I also don't like let my night like devolve into Twitter for 12 hours the way you do. I let
1: my night devolve into sleep, you insomniac. Anyways, all right, so
0: do you have any shows that you watched without me this whole time at all?
1: Yes, The Mandalorian and The Mandalorian. And I am still trying to get through season two. Cool, one hey, show. Well, come on, I, I, you've dominated this segment. I will say this, I'm a harsh critic of the Star Wars franchise. I'm not the biggest like Star Wars guys out there, but this this is amazing. Probably one of the best things in the Star Wars series there is. Cool. Yeah. That's a nice I re- see that was a fun recap.
0: That was a fun recap. Of all the
1: hours we squandered watching television.
0: Yeah, that's true. So so here's what we'll do. We'll be sure to include that list in our show notes, right, Douglas? We can do that. Yeah, so that if if you happen to find some extra time, which I I hope, you know, I hope you do find at least a moment to unwind at some point this week during this, you know. Yeah.
1: Transitionary, transitionary week. week and um, speaking, speaking of transitions, how about we wish everyone a very happy new year and welcome our guests, The Clear Cut.
0: Olivia Landau and Kyle Simon are husband and wife and the co-founders of The Clear Cut, an online direct consumer diamond company focused on providing high-quality custom engagement rings. In addition to being diamond experts, Olivia is a fourth-generation jeweler, and Kyle formerly ran a diamond mining operation. Their success story with the clear cut is not just one of hard work, but of love and partnership as well. And their ability to disrupt one of the most traditional industries has earned them a spot on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for 2020. Welcome to the show, Kyle and Olivia.
2: thank
1: you you for that intro. That was amazing.
0: You got it. Oh, good. I'm glad you liked it. (laughs) So I love following your account on Instagram, not just for the eye candy and like the sparkle it all brings to my feed, but for the feel good love and all the engagement stories and everything. So I have to ask, are you two like the original clear cut couple?
2: (laughs) Yeah, so actually... I mean, we weren't the first clear cut couple. There were quite a few clear cut couples before us, but our wedding hashtag was the clear cut Yeah, I think couple. it
3: was the clear cut couple, yeah. not oh, the original. I love that.
2: The... Yeah. I love, it. <laughs> I love that. The clear
1: cut official. Love yes. that.
2: <laughs> That's
0: wonderful. No, but really, I do. I love a good love story. And the profile on both of you in the New York Times was just like this stunning story about partnership and raising each other up. So I think it's a good place to start. Can you share for our listeners how you met and how your business came to be? Yeah,
2: definitely. So I come from four generations of diamond cutters and dealers on my dad's side. And my mom and my dad had their own antique jewelry business. So I kind of always grew up around the industry, around diamonds and jewelry, but never really thought I would get into it until after I graduated from college, kind of lost and really know what to do. So I decided to enroll in GIA, which is the Gemological Institute of America. There's a campus in New York, and it was a six month program. And I was like, this is a great way to like, hopefully figure out if this is something that I like to do. So while I was at GIA, Kyle was in a different class, I had already done diamonds and moved on to colored stones and he was in the diamonds class but we had similar free periods and lunch periods and I'd always kind of like see him across the room and he would look at me and like I'd look at him but he would never come over to say (laughs) anything (laughs) which was frustrating
3: yeah and so to back up a bit how I ended up at GIA was not through four generations in the diamond business but I had graduated college and moved actually to Africa to Sierra Leone And had worked in politics there, which was quite an experience. And then from there, I actually had an opportunity to start a fair trade diamond mining company. But I didn't know anything about diamonds, but I knew a lot about Africa. So my investors in that venture actually sent me to GIA to kind of get educated.
2: Interesting. And that's
3: where I apparently I was staring at Olivia, but not speaking to her.
2: Yeah, so one day (laughs) I was just we would both like get off school at the same time but I would take the F train downtown and he would take it uptown and I'd see him like across the platform so one day I just like followed him to the F train like uptown and like got on the wrong subway because I wanted him to talk to me and then we started talking and I was like oh I'm really good at diamonds like if you want I've already done this class I can like tutor you so I gave my number and then I like got off the train at like a random stop and had no idea where I was. Persistence. <laughs> I love it. Persistent. I love it. A
1: woman
0: who knows what she wants.
1: Did you make it home all right after
3: that?
2: <laughs> I got into a cab and like took a cab home. I, didn't
3: <laughs> <where> I, <laughs> I love yeah, that. Yeah. I think she was like, Oh, I'm on this for like two stops. And it was like five stops later. I'm like, so where are you going? And then she just, <laughs> just jumped off the train. <laughs> I love that. One
1: aspect of your story that, resonated with me was mutual motivation. When Kyle's mining operation felt the effects of Ebola and you got sidelined with some health issues, it was Olivia that pushed you to go back to business school. And while in business school, you used your network to organically grow a customer base for engagement rings, which Olivia was making. So do you believe you can find your best partner in your partner?
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, every relationship has its own dynamics and its own ways people operate. And I don't want to say the way we're doing it is better or worse than others, but it's definitely worked out for us. I think we are very different people. And so we really complement each other so well. And I think it was nice. Yeah, that when I struggled at moments in my life, Olivia was right there. And like when she was like trying to break out on her own, I was there for her. And I think that story has always continued, even as we've grown, like The things I'm bad at, she's very good at. And the things she's not as good at, I'm all right at it. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think we probably bring out, I think, the best in each other because we are always seeing potential in each other and pushing each other.
1: That's something that really connected to Heather and I for me, too. And specifically with business school, interestingly enough, it was Heather not too long after I came to New York City and was kind of struggling to get some confidence. It's hard to
0: find your place in yeah. New York, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, For twenty,
1: twenty four, sure. twenty five. 25, great recession, the world's crumbling around you. And I just felt totally lost. And it was Heather who put a boot to my butt and said, hey, go check out business school, see if that's something that would work. So I really appreciate not just the fact that you guys pick each other up to push forward here and how that is a parallel with Heather and I, but I also appreciate How you used business school, particularly for the network. And you're always told from your professors, use this place as a network, not just a place to get. And not enough people do. Not enough
0: people do. And and
1: the irony is that, as much as that's being told, nobody does that. And you did. So, can
0: you tell us a little bit about that, about your time in business school and how that kind of served as a launch pad for the business?
3: And I think what's actually interesting is to back up a bit like, I had the diamond mining company in Sierra Leone. And, like, unfortunately, a few years into it, like the Ebola epidemic kind of broke out based out of there. And so ultimately, I had to go back to New York and kind of like reinvent myself. And so, when I finally went through the hurdle of getting into business school and starting, all that was on my mind was I never want to do a startup again. This was like so traumatic. Fair enough. Yeah. I want like a very like cushy, like corporate job. I never really had a traditional job before. So, I was really eager to do that. And I did after my first year, I spent my summer working at Goldman Sachs. And I quickly realized that I actually didn't want a traditional job. And I, I got to experience that and realize that was something I wasn't really that interested in. But all my friends kept reaching out to me like, hey, we know you in the diamond industry. And I had experience in the diamond industry. And I think it's one of those things in business school, second year, people start to think about their future and settling down. And so a lot of people are looking to get engaged. And they're like, hey, do you like know a guy in the industry? Or like, who's the guy you like can hook me up with? And Olivia was that guy. So I would point them to Olivia.
2: And yeah, so I started working with a lot of Kyle's classmates on educating them and helping them pick out their diamonds and designing their rings. Because at the time I worked in wholesale. And then from there, I realized that most people didn't know the first thing about buying a diamond. So that's what inspired me to create the clear cut as an educational blog just so they could read about the basics and the do's and don'ts before coming to sit with me. And then I just started posting some of these rings on Instagram. And that's where it kind of took off where more people like strangers were following the account and asking me if I could make their rings. And it kind of snowballed from there. And it was like just a hobby and something I did for our friends and turned into kind of like a side business. And by the time Kyle was graduating, It was kind of overwhelming and I couldn't really do my full time job and the clear cut at the same time.
3: Yeah. And I was watching Olivia selling hundreds of thousands of dollars for the diamonds on her lunch break. And I was like, you really have something here. Like we need to commit to it and like forget all the plans. And Olivia's like, that's great. But one of us has to earn a living.
2: Yeah. I'm very (laughs) risk-averse.
3: So I basically graduated, turned down my offers and was like determined to find a way to make this work while Olivia continued her Full time job. And then it was like, I need something. I need something that like shows that like she wanted someone else besides me, I guess, to like take a chance on this. Yeah,
0: totally. That makes sense too, because we experience that dynamic in the nature of like mine and Doug's profession as well, where like I'm more risk averse than he is. And so it's a good balance when you've got someone, at least at the outset of somebody taking on a a riskier endeavor, It, it makes it a lot more comforting to know that there's some solid ground in the other spouse, kind of saying like, okay, we're yeah,
1: I find that that combination in my own practice when dealing with households and couples, even in our own relationship here, is usually one that sets itself up for success because of that stability factor that's in there.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: Well, especially at this time, we were just dating and our parents were like, don't do it. So it was like kind of Of course.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shocker, the parents didn't want you to do it. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> We've exactly. heard that one before. <laughs> that's all really great. Do you ever think that, In terms of the challenges of working with your spouse, is it ever hard to be like read so easily by somebody that you work with? Like you can't really play things close to the chest the way you would maybe with a typical business partner. Years ago, I remember telling Doug that if he signed this certain contract when we were preparing for our book to come out, I told him I would change the locks on our house. (laughs) Like we got in the (laughs) just fight over it. So do you ever find yourself in a challenging situation when you know each other so well and it's like the business and the personal are just
3: Yeah, there's no BSing each other. There's no BSing each other. Yeah.
2: I think I'm just so used to it that I wouldn't know any other way. And Kyle, like, knows what I'm thinking. Like, I can't, like, keep any secrets or anything, but I think it's good because maybe sometimes I'm not communicating properly, but he knows what I'm feeling and already what I'm thinking in like a situation. So maybe it's kind of like a crutch almost. Like, I don't know if I would be able to work with someone that couldn't read my mind.
3: (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, it's a tricky thing. I mean, obviously, we're on the same page, which is really valuable. And at the end of the day, like, I feel like the whole brand and everything's built on transparency. And so just having that even in the dynamic of like decision making has like benefited us a lot.
2: That and makes I think complete sense. We both have the same incentives in exactly. solving problems. Like if we are having an issue, well, like we better figure it out before like we go to bed and like don't go to bed angry.
3: Yeah, because I think what's weird is if you look at like a traditional like founder relationship or like business partner relationship, every business to, at some level, there's like a terminal date or there's a certain at least options to have terminal dates or to have exits or to have different futures. And when you are committed to staying with your partner or your co-founder for the rest of your life, it really aligns those incentives where like two co-founders could be on the same page in year one, but by year six, everything in their personal lives has changed so much that maybe how they view long-term path of the business may also change because of that.
1: Yeah, I can't emphasize that enough. Having worked with two partners previously in in my own industry, you always hear like it's like a marriage. And Look, they didn't work out. They didn't work out, and the marriage <laughs> marriage wasn't good enough. Unlike my current marriage, which all the projects <laughs> unlike
0: your real marriage, unlike my real marriage, where you know <laughs> not the pro- your business marriage, yeah, or-
1: back to like picking each other up and motivating each other. You're right; those incentives are aligned, and that's why it gets done. The projects get done, even when you're getting heated over like a contract I was told not to sign, <laughs> or a book you're writing together, or even this podcast you actually kind of feel good knowing that we're going to be successful because we have each other because of our personal
3: relationship on top of the business relationship. And the
0: success is sweeter when you share it with the person that you love. Of
3: course. And in a way, it's like romantic. It is. As long as both sides just are equally putting in the work, which has never been an issue for us, then I think everything else is minor. That's awesome.
1: So- You said something a second ago, and I want to hold on to that for a second. It's going to come up now. It was the word transparency. But turning to the business itself, for most millennials, buying things off the internet has become like second nature. So I can see how there was an untapped market for buying diamonds online. But there's obviously so much more to selling expensive jewelry on the internet than simply creating a digital storefront can you share with our listeners what The Clear Cut has done differently to build trust with young buyers in the space?
2: Yeah. So I think that traditionally the diamond industry, how my dad operated in it, it was really opaque. It was not transparent at all. They didn't want to like teach or educate the clients because you didn't want them to know too much and pricing wasn't transparent. It was kind of just like sometimes like almost a sketchy feeling. But our generation has grown up being able to do like endless research on the internet and like having social media. So now millennials want to be really informed and educated in whatever purchase they make. And that's why even from the jump in the clear cut, I've always put out free educational material. I want each of our clients to feel super empowered with every decision that they make and whether they shop with us or anywhere else, just knowing the do's and the don'ts the clear cut in itself is about transparency in its name. And also millennial consumers are really savvy on what they want. Not a lot of them are going to want to overpay for something that's already made in a box that they're just picking out of a store. They know exactly what they want. They're seeing it on Instagram. They want something special, something unique, something custom to them. So I think that's where we have been filling like a void where we not only educate and empower the consumer, but also provide really competitive pricing and great customer service and a custom ring that's really special for each couple. So I think that's just something that our clients are our peers. So we really understand them and their needs.
1: I love that. The relatability factor is something I couldn't put any more of a premium on in a service industry. So was the diamond industry just like desperate for disruption? I remember buying Heather's engagement ring or really any jewelry for that matter. And it was overwhelming, even more so as a young dude.
0: And it's a huge purchase. Massive.
1: Forget almost any, you don't want to get something,
0: you want to impress. But also to your point, I think that like millennials really want to learn. And that's what maybe older generations don't understand about us is that we want to learn things. We would say to ourselves, okay, we're making a large purchase and I'm going to be incredibly informed and deliberate about that purchase. And I'm going to feel good about spending money because I know what I'm getting.
2: Yeah. Definitely. And I think sometimes back in the day, like people with defaults, maybe feel like they had to shop at like a luxury retailer to know that they were getting good quality. But that experience is so intimidating. Like I feel uncomfortable walking into those stores even now. So it's not something that's like approachable either.
0: Absolutely. I just remember the whole it really was like an I know a guy Type of industry.
1: It's an always I know a guy thing.
0: Both of us have family that were in the jewelry industry, and it's it was always like, okay, well, I need this ring appraised. And my mom like took it and gave it to like somebody's cousin's <laughs> brother's cousin's brother's wife in the diamond district in Philadelphia and just like came back with a number. And I'm like, excuse yeah. me. I dude. remember I remember going
1: <laughs> to the jewelry store expecting I was gonna meet like some really firm connection. Throwing your mother under the bus here. Really firm connection. <laughs> we walk in, it's a run of a mill jewelry store and I'm talking to like a 21 year old. I was like, what are we doing here? Like what's happening? I have no clue.
3: Well, I think one of the things you touched on there, that's definitely the case is like talking about like millennials being educated and wanting to learn whatever. What you're seeing now is in these like traditional like retail stores, the person who's selling you the diamond is just that they're like a salesperson. They're not necessarily an expert or they're not a gemologist. And so what we've seen is like often like followers of our account or people who are paying attention online know more than the person they meet in the store by the time they meet them. Which I think really highlights like how disjointed the industry had become. Got it.
1: One of the things that drives a lot of successful businesses and brands, including yours, is content creation. In addition to other platforms, you have a YouTube channel where Olivia breaks down topics like the four C's, how to measure the perfect fit, metal types, you name it. And then there's Heather's favorite, as we mentioned earlier. Clear cut couples on Instagram. I love Instagram. it. I love a good story. She's over the moon for it. This shares customer engagement stories. So, does your content break down some of the fear around a big purchase like a diamond? Does it make it more approachable? I really want you to get into how you guys utilize the content that you're creating
3: for business. If you take a step back, like it was only like before the internet, like if you wanted to learn about diamonds, your only options were to blindly trust someone or go to a library. There was no access.
1: Read a book on diamonds.
3: Yeah, and like now it's kind of the opposite, where there's actually too much information out there. So it's like very hard to know who to trust or what to trust or what matters, what doesn't. Everyone has like an angle. So we try to like synthesize all that information and give you here's what matters and here's what don't. And here's like a clear cut clips or clear cut classroom, whatever it may be, and really empower customers to make the right decisions. And then once they are informed, we work alongside them with our diamond experts and our gemologists to find you the perfect like ring for you.
2: Yeah, so I would say our Clear Classroom is exactly what Kyle said. It's weekly. We really take the topics based on what our followers are asking us in DMs or on our Wednesday Q&As and like kind of compiling like, oh, people are really interested in this because like sometimes you are like, oh, can I, how long can I talk about like diamonds and jewelry? well you can get like pretty niche on it and people go into like deep holes. So there's always something to talk about. And it's basically taking all that information and like providing our expert opinion just to empower our followers and customers at the end of the day. And our clear cut couples are just, they're my favorites too. I love them because I'm a hopeless romantic. And every proposal story is just like the best part of our job, seeing like, all the hard work culminate into someone saying yes and sharing those stories and the photos are just such a great way to solidify our community of clerica couples and like build on that. And also that does provide trust to someone that may be interested in purchasing a ring from us one day.
3: Yeah. And even internally, like our team, everyone who works at the Clerica has been given this like immense responsibility that like someone's giving us, you know, one of the biggest financial decisions of their life at that point, and one of the biggest like, emotional moments of their life in our hands. And like, we have a huge responsibility to like make that go right. And so there's a lot of stress and pressure internally to make sure we do everything perfectly. So when those articles come out, it kind of puts everything in perspective, it kind of reminds us of like, how special like what we're doing is, and like, how much joy we're bringing to these couples. And it's just a really good feeling.
1: As someone who helps people close on their first homes or reach retirement and hit these milestones in their life, you did an amazing job capturing what it's like to be on the side of the person making that happen or being on the team at least and having that that and And having that
0: mission. Having that mission as part of your day-to-day operations—what a cool thing! It's not just like to wake up and know that you're doing that. Yeah, it's it's not like
1: here's your widget. Get out.
0: Well, and also one of the things that I like about not just the love story of the clear-cut couple, but I just love that it makes it really approachable just from a marketing standpoint. You are showing the actual faces of your customers. And I think that there's a lot of value to that, especially on a very unapproachable, somewhat intimidating topic.
1: I'm jealous of that. I wish I could make a testimonial or a video of my, yeah, here's the keys to our house.
0: And your content and videos and everything are very digestible. This is very funny. Years ago, when I was in journalism school for undergrad, I had to write an article about a topic, like a factual article. And I said, I'm going to write about the four C's of the diamond industry. Do you know how hard it was to even find (laughs) sources that were actually reliable to even put together this like fake article I was writing for a class? (laughs) It was very hard. To your point, it's not that readily available. So this is, I think, really wonderful. What has been the most effective platform, in your opinion, for attracting your customers?
2: So from the inception of the clear cut, it's really been mainly Instagram that has been our main platform. But as of recently, TikTok has been growing really fast for us, actually.
3: That makes perfect sense. Only in the past three months, but it's been (laughs) blowing up.
1: Keep hitting that one. I think there's gonna be a lot of attention going there, but switching gears there. What has been the most challenging part of breaking through in this industry from really a technical standpoint? What do you think that is?
3: Oh, so many like, things. Sounds like where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> Pick one. Well, I think one of the criticisms we faced initially, or one of like the doubts we had was a lot of people were like what you're building is fantastic. But how do you scale that? Like, how do you scale human expertise? How do you scale this one on one personalized? That
2: was one critique. Another critique is like, why does anyone need you? There's like already jewelry stores and blue Nile, like what makes you special? That's from an outsider, I would say from the inside. It's a really niche industry. And it's built on a lot of handshake deals, a lot of trust. I think Be working in the industry for a few years before really helped with our initial contacts and people we worked with. So that was like essential that I had built those up from working in the industry and also having my family have some loose connections because it is quite a tight knit industry. But being like, we were in our early 20s and I'm a woman and this is an industry really run by middle aged men or older than that. So having people take me seriously was a bit of a challenge in the
1: beginning. Yeah. I feel that one a lot, actually.
0: Do you feel that one as a man in the, fin- the financial no, industry? No.
1: No. Seriously. <laughs>
0: Sorry. I had to call you out on that. Thank
1: you. I'll walk that I, I'll walk uh, that back a little bit <laughs> <laughs> to be 19 to 24 and asking people to trust you with their financial life and their That's money. That's true. That is the same is- right. You couldn't get enough credibility to make that happen. And Olivia, you actually almost beat me to my next question, which was like, have you ran into any issues forming business relationships with wholesalers, et cetera, or being ingrained in the industry and having family connections? Did that help you finesse those calls? You kind of answered it there, but maybe dive into that just a little bit.
2: So I would say the thing that helped us most was my experience working in the wholesale industry for a few years. I'd done that for about three or four years while casually starting to clear cut. So I had really great connections with a lot of wholesalers. I had good relationships with a lot of manufacturers and jewelers. And I think a lot of people had also like just been familiar with my dad working on 47th Street. So like having some sort of like level of trust, like, oh, I kind of like know your family a little bit, even like loosely, that helped a bit. But yes, trusting a young girl that we were actually going to like generate sales and revenue, that was like a little bit, no one really took me that seriously. And people would kind of look to Kyle sometimes and be like, oh, like try to deal with him without me.
0: Sure. I feel that on many levels.
1: So Olivia, as a fourth generation jeweler, you've pretty much been in the space your entire life
0: or at least been around the space. It's been ingrained in your family.
1: And one of the things that we have in common here is I also grew up in, well, I grew up in my father's profession, and I probably understand a lot of the dynamics that take place there to some extent of what it's like to have a parent or parents in the same field. So I'm very curious as to what it was like for you to approach jewelry in a completely different way from your family. And really, did you always, when you said, I'm going to get into the business, Was it always, I have to do things differently? And when- And
2: what did they say? Was anyone
1: offended? (laughs) Were they like, oh no, like break that down for us.
2: Well, what's super interesting is a lot of people think that I like took over my family business, which like isn't the case at all. We do something completely different than what they did. And the way my parents did business almost doesn't exist anymore. They always told me, don't go into the industry. It's a dying business. Like this industry is dead. And just from, I never sought out being like, I'm going to like change the industry or like change the way things are, like shake it up. It just happened so organically and so naturally because of the way I like to interact and like consume product and like just with social media just happened and it just happened to be different. And that's like I said earlier, our consumers and our clients are us. Are your peers. We really, yeah, exactly. I understand them and my dad doesn't understand us at all or like how we buy things online just like blows his mind. So I just think the industry isn't dead. It's just changing dramatically because the customer is changing.
0: Doesn't that apply across so many industries too? Just the idea that the millennials are now kind of in the driver's seat. We are the customers. We are the ones that are spending money and Buying goods.
1: Right? We're the demand. We're the market. We are the man. demand.
0: And it's just so interesting to watch this shift. I mean, even from ten years ago. I mean, Doug and I are in our mid thirties now. And <laughs> oh God. And just to watch this shift from kind of having to prove ourselves to now you've got a generation above us starting to kind of recognize like where things are and looking at us and saying, well. What is it that you all want? What is it that millennials want? And we actually need to turn to all of you now as the subject matter experts on your own generation. I mean, it's just kind of different, like and kind of crazy how it's shifted pretty quickly.
1: Well, for me, a guy in finance here, like it's a follow the money thing, whether you're a retailer or supplier of any kind, and you see who has the dollars in their hands. I mean, you're going to go to that. And here we go. This is the maybe first or rather early innings of we got the bucks and you're going to have to cater to us in basically a different way than our parents or certainly our grandparents. But
0: I would imagine that this industry, the diamond industry in particular, would be rather adverse to change. Would you agree with that?
3: It's one of those things where it's also like it's an industry run by like family, family run businesses. And so I actually one of the blessings that Olivia had was she didn't take over her parents' business or anything. Because I think if she was to work for her parents, which most people our age in the industry are doing, your parents would never have allowed you to implement those changes. It's like by truly being independent is what allowed a fresh take. And there's so many people in the industry, because again, it's so hard to break into who are like in third generation, whatever it may be, but are having to work for their parents. And their parents are like, listen, I built this business. I didn't build this business overnight. This is how things are done. And we're coming in like, actually things are done a different way. And so like you were saying, like follow the dollars. But the diamonds were still controlled by a different generation. So like, this is like the first time like the diamonds themselves are being controlled by a new generation.
1: I couldn't agree with that anymore from multiple standpoints to hear my colleagues or peers be like, I can't believe you walked away from taking over your father's wealth management practice. Do you know how hard it is to get a client to build that trust and to just do the whole thing? why would you go make life harder for yourself and not just do it on your own, but do it in a way that people were, for me, it was people were laughing at you. And that for, I think a lot of people can be discouraging, but for folks like you is the motivator is the thing that, did it motivate you to know that these are the challenges that you're going to face in like an old boy industry? Was that something where you're like, we're going to crack this egg. We're going to get there.
2: Yeah, and I think because I was pretty familiar with how things worked, and I think an outsider coming into this industry would be like shocked at how things operate these days. Things are done like on pencil and paper with handshakes. It is insane. Wild. But having like firsthand experience dealing with that before, so knowing what I was getting into, I felt more comfortable yeah. and knowing exactly what we needed to change.
3: And I think one of the things we've kind of been dancing around, but also haven't explicitly called out is. Another fundamental shift that we happen to be on the right side of was women becoming more involved in the engagement ring shopping process and where they used to be more like passive, like receivers of engagement rings. Today, women are very much drivers of the sales. Oh,
0: yeah. Interesting.
3: And I think that dynamic and having Olivia being a young millennial woman like in the driver's seat as that shift was happening amongst consumers was something that really benefited us and gave us a huge competitive advantage over those incumbent players.
1: 100%.
0: That's so cool. And so true. So what do your parents think today of the clear cut? That's the question. So now you're building this super successful business. It's in the same arena as theirs, but it's different. What do they think about it all today?
1: And by the way, have they been helpful to you at any particular moment in time?
2: We were just with my dad actually last week. I think they're really impressed. I think and like proud because they really, it took
3: a few years.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they thought we kind of had it in us. Today. I mean, I, your
3: dad was her dad was literally crying when Olivia told him that she was going to do this full time and saw how big of a mistake <laughs> like, you no, made.
0: Yeah. There we go. <laughs> I so feel that
2: they're both really really proud and I think really impressed with us. And have they been helpful? I mean, they're very supportive of it now. So I think having like family support, especially when you're like facing challenges every day is like
0: Absolutely. The best thing. Absolutely. So what's next for the clear cut?
3: Well, that's a good question. I think one thing is that we are working on some technology. We've kind of perfected our process, but it's like time to scale that and mm-hmm. time to like bring a more advanced experience, both on the front end and the back end. So we've implemented some of that technology in the back end. And we're hoping in the end of q1 to launch some exciting consumer facing technology
2: but the overall arching goal is to be this generation's jeweler for life so basically replacing your mom and pop jewelry store that you would go to in your hometown that you'd go for anniversaries or birthdays push presents like we will be that go-to for you no matter where you are
3: yeah and i think what we have realized is like when we started We were just trying to get like a customer, and that like we sold one engagement to somebody that was like a huge accomplishment. And now what we realize is we have hundreds of thousands of customers, and they've given us one of the biggest financial commitments of their life, and they had a good experience, and they keep coming back to us for more jewelry to signify other life events. And I was like, how do we continue to unlock that and be there for our people to be their jeweler for life?
0: Absolutely,
1: guys. This has truly been. An amazing time spent together, learning about all the success that you've had. And before we go, we end each episode with the same question: What have you lost sleep over lately? <laughs> a few things.
2: I don't know I've been sleeping pretty well lately.
3: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, I'm sure. Okay. Few- I'm jealous.
2: I've been just like thinking a lot about we're moving offices. It's a pretty yeah. big endeavor. And I feel that that's logistics. just stressing me out a little bit. We're doing that in a couple of weeks and I don't think we're ready. Yeah. And we're
3: like, I don't know, 10 X the size of our office. So, wow.
0: Oh my goodness. That's well, pretty, best best that's pretty of luck big. to you on that. Kyle, how about you? What have you lost sleep over?
3: we, got so many orders for the holidays <laughs> and again it's like one of those, like responsibility things and we have to get them out before the holidays sure absolutely so it's just making sure that we don't ruin anyone's christmas and that yes, everyone's you gets... right
2: I, I honestly like that's what i should be losing sleep over if we didn't have this move at the exact same time as christmas but i'm glad you're stressing about yeah that. i'm
3: not just stressed with the office so about the options. complimenting each other yeah, there, there you go yeah, there it is just complimenting yeah. each there other it it's yeah. fine this was
1: to be expected
0: Yes. <laughs> well, we can't thank the two of you enough for joining us today. This was so much fun. And before we go, please let our listeners know where they can find you to connect.
2: Follow us on Instagram and on TikTok at The Clearcut. And you can visit our website and shop our collection at www.theclearcut.co.
1: Awesome. Well, guys, thanks again. This was wonderful.
2: Thank you thank so much, you for so much. Us. This was so much fun. This really was. Thanks.
0: Thank you for
1: staying up with us
0: and checking out We Should Be Sleeping.
1: Connect with us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and learn more at weshouldbesleeping.com.
0: We'll see you next time on We Should Be Sleeping.